Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Pastor Brian will make sure you get one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're continuing our message from last week entitled, Being Shameless for Christ. If you missed part one, you want to go back to our website or you know, pick it up on our social channels or podcast through iTunes or Google Play. But the theme of the book of 2 Timothy that we've been going through is entitled, the whole theme of the book is Legacy. This is Paul passing down the gospel legacy to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. These are the last words that Paul will write. This is the last letter that God uses to write to him. These are the most important words. And he knows that, by the way. Paul understands that he's about to give his life. So what he's saying in these uh, four chapters in this book here is incredibly important. I had to make sure there was four in there because, you know, I'm the pastor. I don't want to be wrong on that. So I better verify. But um, (laughs) the four chapters, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, here is a godly heritage. Here's a godly legacy. Take it and you live that out yourself. And then you pass it down to somebody else. And Do you know that it's been amazing that that's been happening for 2,000 years? People have been passing down this godly gospel legacy from one person to another. That's the way it works. God uses people. He works through people. He he shows the gospel. He reveals the gospel. He he, shows people how to live out the gospel through people. And then they pass that down to other people. Live a godly legacy. This is Paul telling Timothy, here's my legacy. Now I want you to live this legacy. There's one thing that's incredibly important when you're trying to build a godly legacy, and that is, that is uh, to be a person of character. To be a person of character. And, and really when we come into verses 6 through 18, Paul is talking about character. He's talking about a specific kind of character. He's talking about being unashamed for Christ. He's talking about the character of being, having this resolve that says, Jesus is my number one, and I will not be ashamed of him. And so I entitled this message, Being Shameless for Christ. We're going to stand with me, and we're going to pick it up in verse 6 here, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 6, it says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been trusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that, I, that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phrygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to speak into our lives. This is not just a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. This is a a personal letter, letter from you to me, to us. 
This is canonized in the scripture because this is your word. These are your words to us. Will you speak to us today, Lord? Will you help us to understand that character of being an unashamed of Christ? Will you give us the faith? Give us the understanding. Father, just put a flame in our hearts that cannot be put out today. We ask your Holy Spirit to come and teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so God's intention for us from day one was to be shameless for him. How do I know? All you have to do is read the very beginning of Genesis, and we find our father and mother, Adam and Eve, who are planted in a garden. And it's so interesting because it says here, in Genesis 2.25, and the man and wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. They had nothing to be ashamed about. Not ashamed of themselves. They weren't ashamed of the Lord. They were not ashamed. That was God's intent for you and I. Then sin came. And what do we read? Immediately, Adam and Eve, they're ashamed. They're afraid. All of these things, not from God, but actually a result of sin. Shame, the shame that you and I feel, whether it's personal shame or guilt or any of that, but or also being ashamed of Christ, do you know where that comes? From the Garden of Eden, and it's inherent in our spiritual DNA now because we have fallen as a people. And so there is that, that fleshly... Uh, hindrance in the life of every person that will ever exist is that hindrance of being ashamed of Christ. And thankfully, the Lord saw the struggle there. He saw what that would do to mankind, not only being unashamed, but being, being separated from him as a result of sin. So what does he do? He immediately gives us a remedy Immediately in the Garden of Eden, we find God making a sacrifice, uh, covering the sins of Adam and Eve, and, and, and he's saying there is one that will come that will crush the enemy. He will crush him. He will have total victory over him. This is speaking in this moment of Jesus Christ, who will come to remove that, that stain of shame in our hearts and our lives as a result of the fall of mankind. Not only did God send Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you to remove that stain of shame, but then he also gave you something. He gave you a gift we talked about last week. That gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we're operating in the Holy Spirit, we will not operate with a spirit of fear, nor will we operate in a spirit of being ashamed of Christ. We will not if we're walking in the spirit of God. You see, God restores what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And so we can make excuses about why we don't do things or we can receive the power that God has given us in His Holy Spirit to live the life that He's calling us to. And we can accept that these things are not a result of a personality, but these things are, are a result of a yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everything we're going to talk about today is impossible in the flesh. Everything we're going to talk about here as it relates to being shameless for Christ will not happen in your life if you are walking in the flesh. It's impossible because the flesh is fallen and inherently shame comes as a result. If you want to walk shameless for Christ, you must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate this for you. There, there's an incredible parallel of this exact thing in the New Testament. And it happens through Jesus' right-hand man, actually, through Peter. You remember Peter was with Jesus the night he was going to be betrayed. And Jesus said something to him and the disciples there in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. He said, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, 
Though they will all fall, be, fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this, uh, I, tell you, uh, I tell you this, very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same. Isn't that interesting? Now, what you have to understand is these guys don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. These guys are, are the disciples of Christ under the old covenant still. So the Holy Spirit isn't inside of them. That's, you have to understand that, right? The Holy Spirit's come upon them in various different situations, just as he did Elijah and, and, and Daniel and all these other guys in the Old Testament because they're still under the Old Covenant because Jesus has not been crucified on a cross and risen from the dead. So Peter, like you and I, oh, I can do this. This is a fleshly conversation Peter's having. I will never do that. Don't you find that the people that are most vocal about these kinds of things are the ones that fall the first? Isn't that the way it works? I will never do this or that, and the next thing you know, they're in the news for doing this or that. It's interesting the way that works. But Peter then, uh, you know the story as Jesus was arrested in Matthew, continue on Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. Same night, a few hours later, Peter's sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him, and he said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out uh, to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystander came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this blankety blank 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 man. That's what it means to swear. Peter calling curses down on himself in this moment, cursing even to the point of uh, swearing, I don't know Jesus. Totally ashamed. Totally ashamed of Christ right now. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He was so sorry that he had done this. He was broken that he had responded in this way. He knew that it was wrong. And yet he was powerless in the moment because he was in the flesh. Now, check this out. Jesus dies on the cross. He rises again from the dead the disciples during that time are freaking out, thinking this is all, everything's over. That's it. We're, we're done. That was great for the three years we had Jesus, but now that he's gone, you know, it's, it's over. And then Jesus pops into the upper room. Hey, guys, what's going on? He reveals himself, you know, on, on Sunday, the third day, he, here he is, and he's alive. He's risen again from the dead. Something incredibly crucial happened when he came to the upper room that, that, that evening, it says here in John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus had risen from, uh, Jesus, it says, he said this to them, he, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the moment when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came inside of mankind. This hadn't happened since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were in the garden. No one had the Holy Spirit inside of them. Nobody had that. And yet, here now are a group of people that are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see the difference. Check this out. So Peter and John and all the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they uh, begin to stand for the Lord. The Lord tells him, you know, he, he appears over, over 50 days and, you know, to all kinds of different people and, and, you know, and then he ascends into heaven, Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is not the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. 
And what happens is now is these guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, Acts chapter 2, is just giving a blazing message to the people who, um, who have rejected Christ. He's telling them, you need Christ and you need him now. 3,000 people get saved. It's amazing the work that the Holy Spirit's doing. Well, apparently, uh, there was a paralytic man that was sitting by the gate, beautiful. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were walking by. They healed the guy. A crowd swells up, and they begin to tell him about Jesus, and the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders are there. They hear this, and they're kind of curious uh, about this whole, whole Jesus thing. Here's, here's their response. They, when they saw what had happened with the paralytic man and, and, and the, the message that was being given in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, it says, now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of, of Peter and John and received that they, had, they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I think that is the absolute coolest verse in the Bible. Right there, like, I want to tattoo that on my chest. You know, I don't really, but that would be weird. <laughs> Like, no, look, no, it's really not. You don't want to see that. But uh, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Is that amazing? What, what about them caused the religious leaders to recognize that they'd been with Jesus? What about them? How did that happen? The boldness. The boldness. Where did the boldness come from? Not from Peter, not from John, but from the Holy Spirit, right? So they bring him into the the court, they're going to they're gonna tell them a, a few things, and so they, they, they don't like what's going on there. They can't deny what's happened, but at the same token, they crucified Jesus for a reason, and they don't want that message to continue. Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They didn't say, don't do those works. They didn't say, don't come to the synagogue, don't come to the temple, don't sacrifice, don't do these things. They said, don't teach in the name of Jesus, right? And, 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 and Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Does that sound like the same guy that was... Uh, the night Jesus was betrayed? Does that sound like the same guy to you? It's not the same guy. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit is in this guy. And the Holy Spirit brings, brings power in your life. He brings boldness in your life if you walk in him. And, and we see in Acts chapter 5, the same thing happens. They, they send him out after this moment. They send Peter and John out. Uh, they go about their business. They continue to proclaim the name of Jesus Acts chapter 5 again, they're pulled back in, and Peter said the same thing. Should we obey you rather than God? We will not. The boldness of, you know, Peter became so bold for Christ, walking in the Holy Spirit in his life, that he, when he was delivered uh, by the hand of Nero to death via crucifixion, Peter said, crucify me upside down because I don't want to die. I don't deserve to die the way my Lord died. You want to talk about a boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us the boldness. He gives us the capacity, the ability to remain unashamed, to remain shameless or to be shameless for Christ. You will never do that in your, in, on your own. You will never do that in your own power. You will always cower because of fear. But the opposite of fear is faith. And if we're walking in faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is no fear. The only fear that we have is the fear of God. And that is the fear that we are called to. Peter would never cower, never cower again because he walked in the Spirit of God. The key that we're, that we're talking about here today ultimately comes down to that. You want to be shameless for Christ, you have to walk in the Spirit. There's eight different things that Paul, uh, you know, mentions to us in these passages. We went through two of them last week. If you were with us, you remember verse 6 tells us that if we want to be shameless for Christ, we must keep the, the gift ablaze. And secondly, verse 7 tells us that we must walk in the resources given. God has not given, God has given you a gift 
And that gift is the Holy Spirit. He, it's in every person that's a true believer. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there's a participation that's required in, in, in you know, walking in the Spirit. He needs your help. He, he's not just going to make you do things. You have to actively walk in the Spirit of God. That is the fanning of the flame. When you fan the flame of the gift, what happens is you activate the Holy Spirit in your life. What are you activating? Well, he goes on to tell us the resources that we have in the Holy Spirit, which we're activating power, love, and self-control, or King James, New King James says, a sound mind. And so when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit in participation, in partnership with the Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't walk in a spirit of fear because that's not from God, but we walk in the spirit of power, of love, and self-control. And those things will keep you from being ashamed of Christ. There are six other things we want to look at in our verses today. Beginning in verse 8, we see another key to being shameless for Christ is a willingness to share in Christ's sufferings. Look at verse 8 there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. First thing that we notice here in verse 8 is a therefore, and because we're Bible students, we ask what it's therefore, right? Paul is connecting verse 7 with verse 8. He's, he's, he's saying what I just said matters because it connects you to what I'm about to say. What did he just say? He said that in the Holy Spirit, we have resources of power, love, and self-control, and therefore, we can stand shameless for Christ. Therefore, Paul goes on to command Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel. Paul knows the fleshly temptation to self-preservation. Anybody else know that feeling? Well, I better preserve my character. I better preserve my image here. I better preserve this or that about myself. He knows that, the temptation to self-preservation. He knows the temptation to cower to the culture rather than stand firm for Christ. He knows Timothy and his timidity. So he commands him in verse 6 to fan the, into flame the gift of God and then to walk in the resources of the Holy Spirit so that he can remain shameless for Jesus Christ. And also, he says, notice, Paul, don't be ashamed of me either, Paul says. The, the only reason Timothy, or you and I for that matter, would be ashamed of Jesus or his representation is if we're walking in the spirit of fear. And specifically, the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man is it's a snare, it's a trap paralyzes you. It stops you from doing what God wants you to do. How do you overcome the, the spirit of fear? The spirit of God. That's how you overcome it. Warren Wearsby tells a story about a man who was imprisoned because of his faith. He was to be burned at the stake. He never thought that he'd be able to, to get through it, and so he conducted a, an experiment. He took the candle that was in his, in his cell there, and he stuck his little finger over the flame and immediately pulled it back due to the pain. And he thought, I, I can never do this. I'm going to disgrace my Lord for the suffering will be too great. When the hour came for him to die, he praised God as they lit him on fire and he died a noble witness for Christ. How? How did he do that? The power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It had nothing to do with him. You see, when he was depending on himself, he said, there's no way 
that I can do this. Exactly right. There is no way that you can do this. But when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, in the moment, you have the power to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish for His name. The key here is understanding that the, the Holy Spirit, that you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you already, but it's not going to manifest itself until you need it. It's on-demand power. It's not power that, just, that you just walk in all the time. It's power in the moment that you need it. The Bible says God gives you the grace you need when you need it. The same idea. Do you have His grace? Of course you do. Do you have all the grace that you need right now? Of course you do. But you have even more grace when you need it. Is that amazing? God gives you what you need when you need it. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, given through the Holy Spirit, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. You have all the power you need already to live a life for Christ in all circumstances. Doesn't matter what you face, but you're not going to realize that power until you need it. Therefore, Paul says to Timothy, because you have this power, you must not cower to the world, but be willing, listen, to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul is, present tense, sharing in the sufferings of Christ for the gospel by the power of God as he writes this letter to Timothy. You know the story if you don't go back and listen to the first sermon in this series. Paul's in prison. In the prison he's in ain't, ain't no prison you want to be in, folks. The Mamertine prison, look it up, Google it. It's not a fun place. People, this is the Alcatraz of Rome. People go there to be sentenced to die or they're waiting to die. Paul knows that, Paul's not hopeless, which is interesting, because you would think if you were in that situation, you'd be hopeless, but there's always hope in Christ. If you are a Christian, you're never hopeless. You're never without hope, no matter what it might look like, right? Paul is hopeful. He's standing firm in Christ, and he's operating in the power of God as he's suffering here. What we need to understand is that the gospel is the catalyst for suffering. Paul's not suffering because he's a good guy. He's not suffering because, you know, he, he's talking to people and, and spreading a message. It's because he's spreading the gospel. The gospel is the problem in the world. The world hates the gospel which is the most fantastic message in the world, by the way, that God would save your soul, that he would, he would pay the price for you. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Turn your life over to him, and you have eternal life. You have an inheritance waiting for you. And yet, the demonic realm understands the power of the gospel. And, and, and therefore, they work through wicked men to stop the message. To the Greek, the Bible says that, that the gospel is foolishness. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. Why? Because Jesus is not their Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. And yet, he's already come, hasn't he? And so, you have... Basically, you have an entire world that is set against the gospel, so the gospel is the catalyst that causes you to suffer, and that's the problem. That's why 95% of Christians only share their faith once in a year, is because the God, it's a confronting kind of conversation when you start to talk to somebody about the true gospel, about the fact that they're a sinner and that they need a savior. Nobody wants to hear that. Unless they're, in the, unless they're in a situation where they are prepared to hear it. And so what the church, at least in America, has done is pulled back from, from evangelism and sharing the faith. The gospel, of the, mes the gospel message is 
I would say, and I, I hate to say this to a large degree, been, it's been silenced in a lot of people's lives because of what it produces. It produces, um, you know, division in a lot, of, a lot of situations. But it produces life. And so we have to make a choice. Are we willing to suffer the consequences to give somebody the good news? Or will we just withhold it and allow them to spend eternity without Christ? That is something that we all have to consider. And I would say that we need to consider more and more as our country, whatever direction our country goes. Are you going to remain faithful to Jesus Christ? And are you going to remain faithful to bring the gospel intelligently? You know, not, not rebelliously. Listen, the, the entire world has been dealing with this persecution as a result of the gospel for 2,000 years. And it should not catch us off guard that we may too have to deal with that. It's okay. It will not stop the message. Why? Because we operate in the power of God. Because we have the power of God to operate in the gospel. And Paul, um, what you need to understand about suffering for the gospel's sake is that it's a catalyst for salvation and encouragement. What do I mean? Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, um, he's in prison, his first imprisonment in Rome. And listen to what he says to these guys. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul understands that the suffering for the gospel was meant for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, he says that the Roman, the imperial guard, the, the Roman soldiers who are taking care of Paul 24-7, guarding him and all that stuff, you know what they're getting? They're getting an altar call every time they show up at his door. They're getting the gospel. He's continuing to reveal the gospel to everybody that comes in his path. They understand that he's there as a result of the gospel. And yet, in, this, in his first imprisonment, in Rome, he was more on house arrest. You can read about that in Acts chapter 28, but he had a more of a freedom to do this. The imprisonment that he's in now as he's writing to Timothy here is not the same kind of an imprisonment. This one is he's going to die for this. Did that stop the gospel message from going forward? No. Because suffering is a catalyst that God uses to produce salvation and encouragement. Not only did the imperial guard, you know, hear the gospel, and probably many of them got saved. He calls them brothers later in this, uh, in this book. But also, did you notice that he said the brothers, most of the brothers were encouraged by my imprisonment? Hey, I prefer to encourage people a wholly different way. Like, I don't really need to go to prison to encourage people. Lord, I can just, you know, just send me over to their house. We can have dinner, and I can encourage them that way. That's the way I'd prefer to do it. And yet it's not impactful, not as impactful. The Lord says there's something unique about when a person is suffering for Christ. When a person is dealing with the reality of being a believer, which by the way is suffering, that is a reality of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There, there's something that God does in that moment when other people are watching that pricks their hearts. I gave you a story last week about a little girl who would not trample a cross and she was the example to the other students in there to, to walk around the, and they all walked around the cross to their death. She was the example. She emboldened them to, to stay true to the Lord. And listen, your suffering, whatever that suffering is, whatever that looks like, as you remain faithful to Christ in those moments, people are watching and you're going to be encouraging other people. You're going to be encouraging believers. And you're going to be used by God to bring the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. So suffering has incredible benefit for the gospel's sake. Are you willing to suffer 
to advance the kingdom of God? That's a question you have to ask yourself. And then I would ask this question, what did Jesus do for me? He was willing to suffer for me. He gave the example. So, you know, I want to do whatever I have to do, Lord, to, to further your kingdom. I'm willing to do whatever it is, Lord. And then how do we do it? How do we suffer well? How do we suffer in a way that we can advance the kingdom of God and we can be encouragement to others? We have to walk in the spirit of God. You can't do it any other way. It's the power of God in your life that enables you to suffer well. I just said not too long ago, God gives you what you need in the moment. If you need endurance in a moment, he's going to give you endurance. If you rely on the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the endurance you need. If it's encouragement, he's going to encourage you. You know, whatever you need in the moment, he will give you. But here's what I find about God is oftentimes he will not take me out of my pain, but he'll give me the strength to get through it. Is that true for you too? Oh, he works in your life like my life. Wow, how amazing. But he gives you what you need when you need it. The power of God is in your life if you're a believer. You really don't have anything to worry about. You just trust the Lord and keep on mission. Paul goes on to speak about his glorious transform, transformation and calling. He says to Timothy, uh, share in suffering of the gospel in the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of Jesus, uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God saved you for his own purpose. That's what I just said. He saved you for his own purpose. Did you know that? He saved you for his glory. He, he called you, literally, he summoned you to salvation by the wooing of the Holy Spirit. John chapter, four, uh, John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says no one can call upon the Father except if he's drawn. The Holy Spirit woos us to the Lord. He reveals it. He calls us. Notice, not because of who we are but because or what we've done. It's because of who he is and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. That's called grace. Unmerited favor of God. It's by grace that God called you. It's by grace that God saved you. You did nothing for your salvation. What makes you think that you can contribute to it now? If Jesus saved you at your worst, why do you think that you can save yourself at what would appear to us to be our best? The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. We need Jesus every moment of every day. We need the grace of God in our lives. It's not us, but it's him. It's what he's done. I think this is crazy that it talks about the preordination of Jesus Christ from before the ages. This is Jesus Christ, God thinking, God planning, God preparing Jesus Christ, you know, for the cross before we existed, before anything existed. From eternity past, Jesus Christ was slain. He was slain. God had already prepared that. He knew the fall of mankind. I always, as a young believer, would think like, man, you know, I don't know. I, I struggle with the idea that God knew that man would totally depart him, and then he continued on with, with salvation. Does that even make sense? That doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not God. Praise God. Because I would have cut it off before it happened. But you know what? Not only was God preparing a sacrifice, but he was, always he was already loving you before you existed. Now that is amazing. You were being thought of before the foundation of the world that the Father had to make a way for you to be in right relationship with him 
So he sent his son, he, the, the preordained you know, uh, plan of Jesus Christ coming to this earth incarnate to be crucified on a cross. That is amazing. That if, if you don't feel loved, then, then you're not thinking the deep things of what God is thinking about you. You, you, need to under, you need to pour yourself into knowing God more because he loves you so much more than you could ever fathom. Like, did he thought about you before you existed? That he said, I'm willing to pay the price for you? Knowing all that you would do. It's amazing. John chapter 1, Jesus shows up on the scene and it says, his own knew him not. Full rejection. Full rejection. And he knew it before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that the road that leads to life is narrow and few go that way. But the, the, the road that leads to destruction, many go that path. Few, many, cross, I don't know, probably not my plan, but God would die for a few. Even though the majority of creation would reject Christ, God said, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. How amazing is that? And then when Jesus came, this tells us that he is uh, the manifest grace of God. The grace of God was manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what grace is? Look at Jesus. He is the manifest grace of God. He didn't just have a plan and then let somebody else do it. He himself came. And he said, you want to, know, you want to see what grace is? This is grace. Me showing up and you deserve this not, but I give it to you anyway because I love you. What did Jesus do when he came? He abolished death. And he gave life and immortality through the light of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the manifest grace of God, uh, becomes the gospel for you and I that we are saved through. And when we receive the gospel and, and we, are, you know, we go from death to life, the Bible tells us that death is abolished in us. And it says, Paul talks about it, Death has no sting for us. The idea is uh, the story of the father and the son who were in the car. And a bee flies into the car. And the son starts freaking out, a bee, a bee, a bee. And the dad grabs the bee and he holds the bee in his hand. Pretty soon, you know, the father releases the bee in the car. And the kid starts freaking out again. Dad, the bee, the bee, the bee. And the dad takes his hand and he pulls it over to the son. And he says, don't worry, I took the sting. The stinger's in my hand. I took it for you. He can no longer harm you. That is death in our lives. It's still there, but it has no sting for the believer. The stinger has been taken out. Jesus Christ paid the price for you, and he's going to transition you from the grave all the way to eternity with him forever and ever, and you have nothing to worry about when it comes to that. The gospel is the light. Why do you think there's such an affront upon the gospel in our world today? Because it's light. Darkness hates light. Darkness hates exposure. And so when we share the, the gospel, it's sort of like shining a light in people's lives. They don't like it. You remember that, what that feels like, don't you? When you were an unbeliever and somebody was trying to share you, don't tell me about Jesus. I know everything about him. No, you just don't want to hear the light. You don't want to, you don't want to be exposed to the light shining in your life because you want to live in your darkness. That is the absolute truth. Until you recognize that moment where you're like, man, I'm going to die one day and I'm going to answer to God. I need the gospel. I need that life to expose me so that I can be saved. And then you recognize that. You, the, the gospel shines in your life. You recognize I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. That's the point. But it's no wonder the world hates the gospel because it's a light, but it's meant to give us life. And the enemy does a great job of shielding it and trying, keeping people away from it, but the message will continue to go forward. If you and I stand a chance of living shamelessly for Christ, 
then we must accept that suffering is part of the journey. We have to accept that, and we have to be willing to do that. This brings us to a fourth key of being shameless for Christ, the requirement of walking in your appointment. Look at verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Not only has God saved us and called us, but he also appointed us. What does that word appoint? It means to assign someone to a particular uh, task. We're saved to serve. God has an appointment for you. Of course, we have a, we have a sort of a, a global appointment as it relates to the, whole, the entirety of the body of Christ, right? There is an appointment at large that is called the Great Commission. We all have that appointment. It's not personality. It has nothing to do with the gift of evangelism. It's you're called to go make disciples. You're called to um, not just share your faith with somebody, but you're called to sit down next to somebody and teach them about Jesus, to make a disciple. That's what it means. Listen, I want to encourage you. Find somebody that knows less than you do and pour into them and begin to teach them about the Lord. That's what discipleship is. Go make disciples. That's the Great Commission. But you also have an appointment. You have an appointment from God. For Paul, it was preacher, apostle, and teacher. These are all different roles. Paul is preacher. To be a preacher means to proclaim truth. Paul was an apostle. He was a, a sent one, a special messenger from God with a certain authority to establish um, God's, king, God's, God's church on earth. There were only 12 of them. There were only 12 of them. And he was appointed to that. And then he's also teacher. Teacher means to instruct, to reveal truth. Preaching and teaching go together. You instruct someone, you, 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 you help them see the truth clearly, and then you preach in exhortation that they apply what they've learned. Apostleship. Paul had an appointment to be a special a messenger agent for the Lord in the beginning of the church being established. And his appointment was clear in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, through, the, through Ananias, the Lord said, go tell, go tell the apostle Paul that he's my messenger and he's appointed to suffer much for me, basically, paraphrased. The apostle Paul had, he was a messenger to the Gentiles. He had an appointment. You have an appointment from the Lord. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you're going to be on staff at a church. That's not what that appointment looks like for many, many people. Maybe your appointment is to be a, a clerk at a grocery store, and that's your appointment. God has appointed you there to be his messenger, to be his representation. Wherever the Lord has you, that's your appointment. And you walk in that appointment. If you want to stand firm for Christ, if you want to, you know, be shameless for Christ, you need to walk in your appointment. You also need to live in the security of Christ. Look at moving forward in uh, the rest of verse 12 there, but I'm, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is awesome. If you get nothing out of this except for what is spoken here, you've gotten the nugget in my opinion, of what is being spoken of here. But I am not ashamed. Listen, why is Paul not ashamed? Because he knows. He's not ashamed because he knows whom he has believed. That word know means to see, to perceive, to possess information about, to have knowledge about. What, what Paul knows is he knows Jesus. He doesn't just say he knows Jesus, like he knows Jesus. Like this is a heart connection to Jesus. Jesus and I, we know each other. Some of us know about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You got to know Jesus if you want to walk in security. That means you got to invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, if this is your investment, then you're going to know Jesus about this much. You need to, this, you need to personally be a student of knowing Jesus. You need to give your life over to knowing Jesus. Some people go to school for four years, eight years to know their job. They invest in that so they can know what they're doing. Listen, the spiritual realm is far more important than anything that exists physically. 
And therefore, you should dedicate your life to knowing Jesus. Paul says, because I know him, I'm confident. I'm absolutely, totally confident that he's able to guard me. What does that word guard mean? To protect me, to keep watch over me. And, and what is he talking about? Guard what? Th this verse isn't greatly, isn't translated really the best in the ESV version. Um, but what Paul is saying is uh, that Jesus is able to guard him until that day that has been entrusted to him, um, until that day that I have entrusted to him. What, what, what he's saying is, is Paul has entrusted Jesus his life, entirety of who he is. And he says, because I know him, I can have confidence in, that he's going to guard me in this life, through the grave, and all the way to eternity. I can know that, and I can be confident in that because I know the person of Jesus Christ. You know, you invest in your personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to have a growing confidence in Jesus, and that is going to produce a shamelessness in you because as you consider, you weigh Jesus and you weigh the world and you look at, you know, you know him, and you look around and you go, hey, I know Jesus, and the awesome thing is he knows me. I got nothing to worry about. You want to have security? You want to know that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? We would all say that. But in your heart of heart, when you lay your head down at night, do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you know? If you don't, it's because you don't know Jesus. You, you know Jesus a little, but you need to get to know him a little bit more. Because the more you get to know him, the more you realize that it's all him. And that your salvation is in his hand, and he says, nothing can take it from me. Nothing. So you can have that security in Christ. And listen, that's my prayer for you, is that you know Jesus to such a degree that, that death has no sting over you, that you're not afraid of everything that could come down on this world, because if you know Jesus, you're at peace. It doesn't matter what happens externally. You're at peace because you know who's guarding you. You know where your salvation lies. It's in his hand and nobody can take it from you. This brings us to a sixth point. Being shameless for Christ will require you to follow in obedience. Look what Paul says in verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the power, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us Guard the good deposit entrusted you. Notice what Paul says here. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. That phrase, follow my pattern or follow the pattern, you know, it carries the idea of this. Follow in my footsteps. Follow in my footsteps, Paul's saying. Um, that's pretty bold. You know, he said, he also said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, if you follow um, in my footsteps the sound words that you've heard from me, if you follow the word of God in my life, if you, if you walk in obedience like I'm walking in obedience, then you'll arrive at the same place I'm going to arrive at. You will arrive at the same place, but you have to be willing to be obedient, and that's his point. His point is you have to follow the Lord. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a bold statement, but his life matches it up. Why does his life match it up? Because he's following the pattern of sound words. What are the sound words? It's the word of God. Paul understands that the sound words are the word of God, and all he has to do is walk in obedience to that. You know that word sound? It literally means healthy. The Word of God is so healthy for us. You know, it confronts us, and it cuts us, and it convicts us, and it, you know, but it also, doesn't it encourage you? Doesn't it, doesn't it lift you up? Doesn't it give you hope? Doesn't it do a lot of other things? It, it, it produces life in you. Man, the Word of God is, is everything that we need. It's, it's, it's you know, to, to, to be obedient to the Word of God will yield a life like Christ. To be obedient to the Lord Paul tells Timothy how to do this in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Again, the Christian foundation is established in faith 
and it's driven by love, both obtained through Christ and our ability to walk by faith and to love like we're supposed to love is given to us by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. God's done it all for you. He even gives you the faith to believe, Ephesians chapter 2 says. It's not your faith, it's his faith that he gave you to believe and you actually said, hey, I'll take that faith and I'll walk in it. We have empowerment by the Holy Spirit to walk by faith and to love people the way that they're supposed to be loved, the way that, the way that Christ would love them. But Paul goes on to warn Timothy here about something that I think we all need to hear. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit entrusted to you and I is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the good deposit that's been given to you. You need to guard it. You need to guard it. You need to protect the Holy Spirit in your life to to walk in the Holy Spirit, to not reject the Holy Spirit, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to not quench the Holy Spirit, but to allow the Holy Spirit freedom in your life to lead you. Not you lead him, but he lead you. That's how you guard it. You avail yourself to it. This brings us to our seventh point, being shameless for Christ comes as a result of remaining faithful at all costs. Look at verse 15. You're aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among, from, among whom are Phrygellus and Hermogenes, and if I said those wrong, hey, sorry. <laughs> this, must be, this, this, this must be the most heart-wrenching moment in the Apostle Paul's life when he acknowledges the response of those whom he's poured into, whom he's loved on, whom he has given himself over to, none of them stood with him. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Don't expect anyone to stand with you except the Lord. Listen, the flesh, people in the flesh, they might be saved, but they might be weak. Don't expect anyone to stand with you in your day of trial. But the Lord, he will stand with you. He's with you always. And you know, if you put your trust in the flesh, whether that's in yourself or somebody else, you're going to be let down. You will be let down. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, then you're going to be able to endure anything because he's our source of hope. Paul says, man, these, when, when I was being arrested by the Romans, everybody bailed on me. And he feels the need to actually list a couple people here. Phrygius and Hermogenes. They went into self-preservation mode here. I better preserve my life, I better preserve me, and I better be worried about myself. And so they bailed on him. And they, they must have been some sort of, uh, you know, they must have had some sort of maybe leadership role there or something to the point that Paul makes it known or Timothy knows them as well, probably. And these two dudes hightail it from Paul when he's being arrested. They were, un they were unfaithful in this moment because they were ashamed of Christ. They were ashamed of the Lord. Were they believers or not? I don't know. This is the only thing we know about them. How would you like your name to be forever written in the word of God as being somebody who bailed on Christ and Christ's servant in his moment of greatest need. Wow. Praise God I didn't live back then because that probably would have been my name, Tim Romero. But I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit has woken me up and he's given me power to not do that. And you too. Who knows what happened to these guys? I don't know. That moment could have been a Peter moment and they could have awoken and said, hey man, I need to get myself right with the Lord and I need to live for the Lord. Who knows? 
Here's the point is if you're unfaithful, you need to get faithful. If you're not walking the way that God's calling you to walk, you need to start walking the way that he's called you to walk. How do you do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. It's simple message. If you want to remain shameless for Christ, man, you, you have to be willing to be faithful at all cost. No matter what you face. Because you will be tested. You will be put in situations where you will be tested. The question is, will you be faithful? This leads us to our last point. Being shameless for Christ will come as a result of loving others more than yourself. Look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Again, we don't know much about Onesiphorus, but what we do know is that he often refreshed Paul. Man, th this dude was one of those guys that when he showed up, you know, you knew that your, your day was going to get better, right? Do you have anybody in your life like that? Like, you just know they're just a beam of sunshine, you know, man, their, their presence just does something to me. It encourages me. It, it helps me through difficulties in life. Um, you know, and of course, we never want to depend on that person because there might be a day they're down. And then you got to be that person. But it's nice to have a person like that. You know what the, 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 the motto of the person that, that's like that? They love people. They love people. They love, they love to encourage people. They love to be around people. They love to lift people up. They're the Barnabas. They're the encourager. They're, they're loving people more than they love themselves. Look at, when he got to Rome, Onesiphorus came from Ephesus to Rome, and he literally sought Paul out. Now, what you have to understand about this, the background is, hey, you didn't want to be associated with Christianity in Rome right at this moment because they were killing Christians. Does he care? No, because he loves people more than he loves himself. And so he says, where's Paul? I need to find Paul. I earnestly am seeking him out. Like, I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I have to do to find where he is. That's, that's the point. And when he found him, he encouraged him. And he refreshed him. And he lifted his spirit. I'm sure he had to go through some stuff to get there, folks. I'm sure it was, uh, you know, not an easy task for him to find where Paul was. And then to get into there, how do you do that? I don't know, but he did it. And he was an incredible encouragement to Paul here. It's because he loved Paul more than he loved himself. If you want to be shameless for Christ, you have to love other people more than you love yourself. There needs to be a heart that is for people. And that is God's heart for, man, for, for us to have. You want, you gotta, if you're going to love people, you've got to have God's heart. How do you get God's heart? By knowing Him more. By yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. By being con continually grateful for what He's done in your life. Remember who you were. Remember, remember how lost you were at one point in your life. And remember what Christ did to you. And he sent that person to you. Or whatever the case might have been. Be those kind of people. Love people more than you love yourself. That's the call. Jesus said the greatest of commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In these, you fulfill all the commandments. Do you know what he was saying there? He's saying the Ten Commandments boil down to two things. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Surrender your heart to the Holy Spirit, and you will love God and you will love people, I promise. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. 
What an amazing, what an amazing set of verses we have here this morning, Lord. So instructional, so impactful. And yet, Lord, there's a temptation for us to leave this place, just go about doing the same things we've always done. And I just pray right now, Father, that you let that not happen in our hearts. In these last few moments in this service, Father, I pray by your Spirit that you would come and you would seal your words over our hearts today. That you would help us, Lord, to hear what we need to hear from you about being shameless for you in this world. Some of us maybe have in some way, Father, been unfaithful, been ashamed of you in different situations. We want to just take a moment and ask you to forgive us for those things, Lord. And that we would be cleansed of that, Father. Just as you restored Peter, would you restore us this morning for not standing firm for you, Lord? Will you fill us with with just a, a willingness to yield to your Holy Spirit and the power that we have in Him to live for you in these last days, Lord. You're coming soon. And there needs to be an urgency in our heart, Lord, to stand shameless for you. Will you fill your people today, Lord, with whatever they need to do your work. We do pray, Father, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that they have that opportunity to come to know you right now, turn their life over to you, to believe and receive Jesus Christ by simply praying, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior. He died for me. He rose again from the dead for me. Cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me, Lord. I want to receive his righteousness now. And I want to walk all the rest of my days out for you. Shameless. Unashamed, Lord. Make me a Christian this morning. For some of us here, Lord, I, I want to just pray a prayer of just recommitment, Lord. Maybe I haven't been sincere in my walk. And Lord, will you forgive us for that, Lord? Just walking in insincerity. You're a God of sincerity. And you require sincerity on our, in our hearts and in our lives. Will you forgive us, Lord, for maybe playing church at times, not being sincere in our walks? I'm so thankful, Lord, that your word gives us that promise that when we are not faithful, you are faithful. And that your grace is as good right now as it's ever been. And you want to wash us clean of our sin. Will you forgive us, Lord? Will you baptize us? Will you will we recommit ourselves to you, Lord? Have your way in us, God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.